sometimes you write like four sermons in the span of like two days, and you're like, man, I feel good. And then sometimes it's Friday, and you're like, what am I going to preach on? This was neither of those things. As I was sitting in the office on Monday going, all right, what are we going to preach on? I was like, trying to come up with something. I'm thinking through this. I'm thinking through that. And I'm sitting there, and God gave me a stroke of inspiration. We started Ephesians three we, or, you know, a, a month, two ago, a little bit more than that. We took a brief break from it. We should start back up again. So here we are. We're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 4 today. Um, And like I mentioned at the top, we're talking a lot about, um, it is a new year. I decided not to preach, obviously, a a New Year's sermon, if you will. But this kind of fits into it because God has a, a great sense of humor. This was not my planning. It was God's. And we're going to talk about this idea of out with the old, in with the new. And that's the title of the sermon today. And... I had a really great Christmas and New Year's. Um, Christmas is my favorite time of the year. I enjoy New Year's uh, as as well. I have a lot of fond memories from from New Year's and stuff like that, from the whole family. That's when the family gets together about once a year. It's at New Year's. Um, so especially as a kid, I have a lot of fond memories. I was sitting, yeah, so yesterday was our family get-together, and half the family couldn't be there, but the half that were there, we had a great time. And... Um, I'm sitting in my aunt's living room, and it's her and me and Uncle Vern and Grandma and my Aunt Julie and Uncle Jerry and Aunt Julie's mom, who I can't remember the name of right off the top of my head, but, um, and then my mom, and then Nathan and Mikey and Mikey's friend and the uh, uh, Max and, um, thank you, Anna, I'm horrible with names, and I don't see them very often, so they're not in my head very much, are all in another room. And I sat there, and I looked at my mom, and I said, when did I get old? She goes, what? I said, I remember sitting at the kids' table. When was at my grandma's house, the kids' table was in the, in the, uh, in the, the kitchen. We'd all sit in the kitchen, and then there'd be like three tables stretched out between her living room and the computer room area, and the adults sat there. And I said, I'm sitting with the adults, and what makes matters worse, I'm enjoying it. (laughs) So apparently it's out with the new and with the old for me. But I love New Year's as well, and and I don't know about you guys, but how many of you have made it, I know it sounds like I'm rambling, I'm not, this is going places. New Year's resolution, or, yeah, right? I've made a bunch of them. I've only ever kept one, and it was one I made two years ago, and it was to read at least one new book every month. I did it. Sometimes it was like four days before the end of the month, and I'm like, oh, crap, better read. But I did do it. But I've never been good at keeping New Year's resolutions. I mean, I've had them to lose weight. I've had them to do this. I've had them to do that. I'm going to work out at least three times a week. That lasts for a day. And then I realize you're supposed to get up in the morning, and I'm like, no, that's not for me. But we, I, I, a lot of us struggle. We make them, and then we struggle with them. But the whole point, right, of a New Year's resolution is to better yourself in some way. You never see somebody go, well, my New Year's resolution is to eat more fried chicken this year. Gain 20 pounds and eat more fried chicken. That's what I'm going to do. I can do that. I don't even have to make that a resolution. (laughs) So 
But right, the point of a New Year's resolution is to better ourselves, to make us something new, something more than what we were before, right? The reading one was an attempt to keep my mind sharp and to gain knowledge, right? If you're trying to lose weight, it's more you want to be healthier. If you're trying to work out, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to work harder at my job. You become a more reliable worker, stuff like that. It's all to make yourself better, to make yourself something different from what you were in the past, and it's true spiritually as well. We are supposed to be something different from what we were in the past. Let's jump into it. Ephesians 4, and we're uh, here in verses 17 through 24. It reads, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be removed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So the title is out with the old and with the new. Number one in your note sheets there, don't be a Gentile. Don't be a Gentile. Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but it's been a while, so I'm going to mention it again. I don't know of anybody here that is Jewish by blood. You might be, but I don't know of anybody. That, in turn, makes all of us Gentiles, okay? That's not what this is talking about. In the New Testament especially, when you see Jew versus Gentile, especially after the Gospels, right? In the epistles and stuff like that, it means saved versus unsaved. The Jews were saved, the Gentiles were unsaved. It's the same thing as the circumcision and uncircumcised. The circumcised were the Christians, the uncircumcised were the unchristians. Now, it has nothing to do with the actual medical circumcision or the actual bloodline Jew-Gentile. It's just the, word, the terminology that especially Paul used to distinguish between the two, right? Remember that the word Christian didn't apply back then. It wasn't a term used for people yet that followed after Christ. Otherwise, he might have said Christian and unchristian. So, don't be a Gentile. Don't be like the unsaved. He talks about this. He says it's the futility of their minds. And you noticed on your note sheets there that I capitalized, caps locked the word there. Because I think Paul puts an emphasis on this. It's the futility of their minds. They lean on their own understanding. And they, we read in the next verse, their understanding is darkened. I like to consider myself a fairly smart person. I have my issues, especially in like math. I've never been great at mental math, but I had friends in high school that could sit down and do calculus in their head. God bless them. I couldn't do calculus with a calculator and a sheet of paper. So... God bless them. But I have a mind that remembers facts. We were sitting there. I, God's got a sense of humor, of course. Yesterday, I was talking to my Aunt Julie and my, uh, my uh, uh, cousin, Mikey. I almost said nephew, but that's, that wasn't the right term. So, um, And we're talking about, we're both Eagles fans. And we're talking about what needs to happen and this and that. And I'm, and Julie goes, 
wow. I went, what? And she goes, you keep all that in your head? Yep, I sure do. There was a point in time in my life, now I can't do it now because it's been long enough, but there was a point in time where I could have told you every single player that played on the 2008 Philadelphia Phillies team. It was like 50 players. I could tell you them all. Why? Because that's the year they won the World Series. I can't do it anymore. I can tell you the big names, but I've always been great at remembering facts and historical facts especially. I'm good at it. That's the brain that God gave me. But when it comes to understanding, none of us have any. Let's just put it out there, right? Your favorite preacher, teacher, Ravi Zacharias, who we all consider, well, I won't say all, most would consider to be one of the greatest Christian thinker, theologians, throw whatever term you'd like to in there, in the past hundred years, doesn't have understanding that doesn't come from Christ. You know you're walking like a Gentile or being like a Gentile when you are walking in your own understanding. God gave us a mind, and it's incredible, and it's powerful. But when you lean on it, it will fail you every time. And then we read that they've been, their hearts have been hardened. Excluded from the life of God, I'm in verse 18 here. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, verse 19. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Let's talk about this for a minute. We know from Scripture that God hardens people's hearts, right? If you don't believe me, go read Romans chapter 9. It says he hardens their hearts. You can't deny it when it comes out. It's not black, it's not gray. It's like, oh, I don't know what the interpretation is. No, no. The Bible tells us God hardens people's hearts. You know who else hardens people's hearts? People. This is not referring to God hardening their hearts. This is referring to their way of life, hardening their hearts so much that it becomes calloused. It becomes numb. When I was young, I still don't like shoes. I go around barefoot most of the time. Sometimes in socks if my feet are cold. But I don't like shoes. I never have. And when I was a kid, I would go play outside in no shoes. My feet, the bottoms of my feet every summer, would get calloused to protect them from the hard rocks, the black top, all that kind of stuff. I would remember that every beginning of the summer, I would be mad because the calluses were no longer on my feet. And you'd have to regrow them, if you will, right? Reharden your feet. But once they were, you barely even felt the rocks and stuff as you were walking on them anymore. Now, yes, one was like pointed straight up and sharp. You felt that. But your heart is the same way. If you do something long enough, especially bad things, right? I'm not talking about reading your Bible. If you sin long enough, it will become calloused and numb, and you won't feel it anymore. And that's not just the unsaved that get that way. We've talked before about how we all have our sin struggles, right? We do. The key word is struggles. When you're not struggling against it anymore, that's when you've become numb to it. I don't know if you've been in that place, but I have. 
And it's terrifying when it finally is brought to your attention strong enough. When finally that sharp rock is pointing straight up and you step on it, it hurts. God says, don't be like the Gentiles whose hearts are hardened and calloused. They don't, they, they don't feel the weight of their sin anymore. When you sin and it doesn't kill you inside, that's when you become callous to it. And you're in a place where it's not too late to turn around. But man, you're on the precipice of it. God can still save you from that. And I'm not talking about salvation because if you are saved, a calloused heart does not keep you from going to heaven. Right? I want to make that clear. But let me give you an example of a good thing. I know that I struggle with anger. Right? I've been open about that. If you've known me for longer than a couple of minutes, you can see it in me. So, and I've mentioned this story before. I was trying to open a bottle of sauce that I wanted for my chicken nuggets because I'm 26 and I love chicken nuggets. Throw them in the air fryer, that's the stuff. And I just wanted this darn thing open and it was a new bottle. And you know how with new bottles they're tough to get open? Well, this one I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I'm doing every trick in the book trying to get this darn thing open. And finally, I just let loose a yell of, I just want my, insert expletive here, sauce. And Maddie looked at me, and I went, oh. and it killed me inside. One that I had lost my temper, one that I had said a word that I know I shouldn't say, and two, that my wife was there to see it. It's a good thing that it killed me inside, because it means I haven't become callous to my own anger. If I could do that and not give a rip that my wife is there, not give a rip that I've lost my temper, that's a problem. God says, don't become calloused like them. It's already 10.30, so I'm going to skip part of what I was going to say next. Maybe we'll figure it out some other time. Number one, don't be a Gentile. Number two, you're different. You are different. Didn't learn to act like this. Here we go. Verse 20, but you did not learn or experience Christ in this way. Indeed, you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. Here's the thing. You were not taught. You did not learn to act like that. Here's the part that's not written there that makes a lot of sense. How does Paul know that the people in Ephesus did not learn Christ in this way? Because he's the one that taught them. The amount of times in my life that I have heard my dad go, that's not how I raised you is way more than it should be. How does he know that's not the way that I was taught? Because he's the one that did it. I had a friend when I was in school who I would go over and spend the night at his house and stuff like that sometimes. And every time I would, my dad would be like, I know you've spent too much time with him. And I'd go, what do you mean? And he goes, every time you see him, you become irascible, you're irritable, you're disrespectful. Why? Because he was that way. And he would go, I didn't teach you to be that way. I taught you to respect your elders. I taught you to do what's right. He knew I wasn't acting the way I was taught because he's the one that taught me. So here's Paul, and he says, listen, I know you didn't learn to be that way because I'm the one that taught you. So you can't pull the wool over my eyes, buddy. You were different. You're called to be different. Never expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. Always expect a believer to. Don't get upset when an unbeliever gets drunk every night. Don't be upset when an unbeliever does things that you know are wrong. 
they're not a believer. Yes, they are held to the standard that sin is sin, but they don't have Christ in them. They don't have the power to say no to it like we do. But you're not called to act like that. You're called to act like a believer because you're different than them. Be different than them. So number one was don't be a Gentile. Number two, you're different. Number three here, out with the old, in with the new. Out with the old, in with the new. Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I'm going to pause there. We're going to talk about those first two things. First off, rid yourself or lay aside its in action. It requires work. Is salvation any percentage you? It's not. It's 100% God. Your sanctification involves you a little bit. It's still mostly God, but involves you making the conscious choice to not be your old self. I want us to pause, and we're going to take just a minute, 30 seconds here, and I'm going to stop talking. And I want you to think about the person that you would be if you weren't a Christian. And I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. And if you come out of this going, well, I mean, I'd be a little bit worse, but I'd still be pretty much the same. You were not brutally honest with yourself. If you don't come out of it going, holy cow, that person's horrid, you weren't brutally honest with yourself. Let's take just a minute here. I've said in sermons before that the man that I would be if I wasn't a Christian terrifies me. I know I would be abusive. I have too many anger issues not to be. I know I would be a drunkard. I have too many problems with addiction. I get addicted to things very easily not to be. I know I would be a horrid man. I'm not because I make the conscious choice to rid myself of that man every day. I can do it because of Christ in me, but I still have to make that choice. And it's not an every month thing. It's not I'm going to make a New Year's resolution today. No, no, no. It's an every morning when you roll out of bed, you make that choice. And then most of the time, it's multiple times throughout the rest of that day. You have to make the choice to lay aside the old you and put on the new self. How? I love this because Paul, Christ through Paul, does not just leave us hanging. He goes, listen, verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It harkens back to Romans chapter 12, right? Renewed in your mind. This is the war. You fight battles over your hands. You fight battles over your heart. But your mind is what controls all of it. And if you lose that war, you will lose every battle. It is so imperative that you control your mind. I love music. I don't hide that. I come from an extremely musical family on both sides. Music is one of the most powerful things we have in creation. If you are sad and you listen to sad music, you will get more sad. If you are happy and you listen to happy music, you will get happier. If you are angry, and I'm going to tick off some people possibly with this, but if you are angry and you listen to heavy metal music, you get angrier. Now, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with heavy metal music. 
but the driving beat and the angry guitar and stuff like that, it makes you feel angrier. You don't see a mosh pit at a country music concert. Just saying. Here's the thing, though. If you're sad and you listen to upbeat music, and especially upbeat Christian music, I'm not saying you're not going to have sadness anymore. I am saying it's different. It's a different sadness. The, 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 the situation doesn't go away, but your perspective changes on it because your mind's perspective has changed on it. If you're happy and you listen to sad music, even Christian sad music, you start to feel a little bit more down inside sometimes, right? Because your mind controls the rest of you. And you can only cover what's in your mind for so long. Eventually, it will come out, either by your words or your actions. It will come out. So Christ, God here, through Paul, says, listen, you want to lay aside the old you and put on the new you? Renew your mind every day. Renew it every day. Keep your mind focused on the right things every day. I'm not telling you that this afternoon after I eat lunch, I'm not going to sit down and if my wife allows me, not watch eight straight hours of football. I am telling you that in this morning when I got up, it wasn't long because Sunday mornings are a little bit crunched for me. But I spent 15 minutes and I just listened to Christian music. I was over here turning the coffee on, getting that stuff ready, but I needed to get my mind in the right place. And I need to do that every day. For me, it's music, right? Some of you, it might be something else. My uncle drives to the train tracks and reads, and that's his renewing of his mind. I listen to music. That renews my mind. Now, I also do scripture. I'm not, I'm not saying, well, just throw out scripture. But music for me, renew your mind. Make it your New Year's resolution this year. Lay off the old. Put on the new. And you will only be successful with the renewing of your mind each and every day. That's what we're called to do. We're walking into a new year. We're in it, technically, three days into it, two and a half, whatever. We have an opportunity that we never had because it's a new year. And God will always give us new opportunities. But you have to be ready to grab them. And the only way you'll do that is if you are constantly ridding yourself of who you once were and putting on who you are now. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you that you allow us to renew our minds, that you help us to do it. Father, I ask that you would lay on our hearts when we haven't done it in a long enough period of time when you're like, no, 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 you need to take some time. Spend it with me. Renew your mind because that's how we do it. We got to spend time with you and you renew our minds. Father, I want to praise you that I'm not the man that I could have been. That the man that I see in the mirror is not who it should have been, but who it is because of you. Father, I ask that you would help us not to become calloused. And that if we are, you would shove that sharp rock right up our foot. Jolt us back awake so that we can fix that. So that we can become more like your son. Father, it's in the name of your son we pray. Amen and amen.